Hello, and welcome back to a Paradise Lost podcasting channel. My name is Brendan, and I am joined with... Christina! As always, for this exalted retrospective on Let the Good Dice Roll. He's getting better at it. I'm getting so better at it. So, tonight we're only going to go through one session. Because, as we asked a couple of people to give us some questions about tabletopping and warping experience, we've actually got some questions to go through. Yay! And I'm very, very excited to talk about these kinds of things because it gives a really interesting look into either the GM or the player perspective. Uh, as a forever GM, I love having these kinds of questions asked of me. And as, uh, well, I don't want to say a forever Player because I've done a, a, a smidge of staffing for a yeah, LARP and helping what you've been out. telling me, you are an aspiring GM. Oh, so I did some storytelling for a LARP that didn't really take off, and I've helped some staff of some other LARPs with some stuff and things and whatnot. And you and, do give a lot of people good ideas. And I like storytelling. I've always loved storytelling. I'm not going to lie. There are points in the Exalted campaign where Christina gave me ideas and I went, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like, wide-eyed and went, yes. You figured out my evil plan, Christina. Which was... How dare you? Obviously not his evil plan, but he liked my version better. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes the players come up with a better version of what's going on. So, to start off, since we have a lot of questions to go through, we're gonna just do one session of Exalted tonight. Well, the other comment I was gonna make is since you mentioned Aspiring Jam, I am kind of planning a D&D 5e campaign to mini-campaign uh, that I want to do with some of our normal players that we have for, like, Mage and Iron Kingdoms and Werewolf. Uh, it's still in the works because I got a bare bones idea of what I want to do, but I don't have it fully conceptualized yet. Uh, so it won't happen for quite a while, and I've kind of got to figure out who's interested in it as far as our current players go. And on top of that, me recording things and editing things and adding music and things. Yeah, and we have to work around all our other tabletops. Yeah, so this we, we is... still have to get through the rest of Werewolf, which still has about another three minimum episodes to go. I can't wait to hear you to to let y'all hear me sing. Yeah, uh, it it was. I will say it was more interesting in person to watch it. There's a video of it that exists <laughs> that we might have to post the link for, or somehow see if I can get it on our website that I work on, uh, which I'm still behind on, but that's okay. Because uh, it was uh, it was quite entertaining. Quite entertaining. There were so many JoJo poses. Yeah. Uh, but yes, so I eventually want to run a D&D 5e campaign, but we'll see. <laughs> It'll happen or it won't. We'll see what happens. I'm going to run it as a one-shot, hopefully, and if everybody likes it, then it'll turn into an eventual mini-campaign or whatever it becomes. But anyways, uh, back to uh, what we were going to do. Which is session four of Exalted, and then questions. Yeah. So this starts on a Sunday, as all of our sessions do. Uh, on with Jane. a Russian accent. It's I don't know if that would qualify as Russian. It's like Russian with a weird combobulated something else in there. Um, but it started in January the 8th, 
of 2017, because we're in the new year now. Well, for the new year for that time. Oh, boy. Two years, two and ten months years ago. Holy fuck. <laughs> That's Holy not correct shit. math. Holy shit. I was still 29 at the time. Holy goddamn. That is, I feel Actually, like. Actually, that I, is, uh, uh, oh, never mind. That is might be correct <laughs> math. Is might be. Yeah, that's the words. Those are words that I definitely just, whatever. Oh, man. Um, I was still in my 20s. I am still in my 20s. How lucky for you. Uh, 29. We're getting close. Uh, anyways. So the start of this is it's been five weeks of downtime before we go to Great Forks because that's where we decided we were going to go. So the reason that downtime takes a while is because um, there are there is a thing in Exalted for training times, which made sense at the time for us to do because I was running. I'm running, not was run. I well, yeah, I was. Shit, just messing up my words over here. <laughs> Doing great. I'm doing so great. He um, was running out of the normal Exalted 3rd uh, edition, and we hadn't switched to Godbound yet, so downtime was the thing that we actually had to incorporate one way or the other. To spend which, allowed, which allowed me to let um, passive story plot progress. And social interactions, and getting to know NPCs, and building relationships, and building I like up, to play allies the sunshade. game. Uh, so Storm, being the person that she is, is naturally paranoid and doesn't want to trust people right off the bat. So we get these two allies, one our tentative lovely ally, uh, Diego, and then we get this Baroness who is loyal to a fault, would be a good way to put it. The Baroness. My and... favorite NPC to have ever played. There's a, there's a part of me that almost wants to play... Either an NPC in LARP or a PC in LARP that is basically just the Baroness given LARP of, like... Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, could you imagine me, like... Could you imagine if I came in and I was like, I'm going to play the Baron who extols the majesty of Sinric. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Lord Sinric. I believe that you've given us this amazing idea to take over Prentice Boru's... Oh, gosh. Wrestling ring. I can't think of what he fucking does. All I know <laughs> is he's fucking Vince man. <laughs> and cocaine. And cocaine. <laughs> Members of Crash Point, would you like me... Would you like my assistance in... Helping take out the Nomandos. Oh, gee. Taking them out. I can bring them down with a BDT. A Baroness DT. I don't know what the rest of a DDT stands for. I, I, I don't know either. I'm I don't not know this great at wrestling. You, you watch it more than I ever have. Listen here, I only watch Lucha Underground because people turn into fucking dragons in that. Why am I still doing the Baroness voice? I Don't can't know. stop, Christina. Make me stop, Christina. Uh, I could smack you. Would that work? No, please don't fucking stop me. Please don't fucking smack me. <laughs> I'm just, I, I have limited options here. Um... <laughs> So speaking of the Baroness, so Storm decides to spend time with both of these people to learn from them and learn about them. And remember how I mentioned intimacies earlier and how those are important and knowing 
how to like ping on them for certain people and what how people are about. How to manipulate people. How to look. How, manipulation. How to talk to people to make them do your fucking thing. Manipulation is important. Okay, that's all I'm saying. So the Baroness's intimacies, as discovered by Christina, are fierce loyalty to the city. It this was is actually like, defining intimacy of loyalty to the sunshade, sunshade city, which is which say that three times fast. Fierce loyalty to sunshade city. Fierce loyalty to sunshade city. Fierce loyalty to sunshade city. I'll say sun sunshade city. Sunshade city. Sunshade city. Sunshade city. How many beers have you? <laughs> you don't want to know. Oh god, this is gonna be great, guys. Uh. And a major intimacy of hers is love to Sunshade. Not the city, but the spirit, which are kind of one and the same. So the thing you should know is is that um, most cities in uh, Exalted get their own city spirit. The Baroness is in love with, literally in love with the spirit of the city of Sunshade. It's adorable because Sunshade is also a city. I'm sorry. Sunshade is a spirit. That specifically teaches Raptox, or Dragon Kings, but Raptox specifically, how to be intelligent. Normally, a Dragon King is an unintelligent monster a la Jurassic Park. I don't know what that's supposed to be, I just had to make a noise. Exactly. Um... Sunshade will come down and try to literally explain basic emotions. It's awful. It's kind of adorable. It's, you say adorable. I say demeaning and awful. So listen here, Storm. When someone says that they love you, that's like when you get hungry, but in your heart. You can't see it. But I'm just staring daggers at him right now. It's like when you get hungry in your heart. It's like when you want to meet with another rap talk, but you want to make sure that other rap talks don't get that rap talk. That means that you're kind of in love. But when you defend that rap talk, that's when you get the love. I'm sorry, did I say demeaning? I meant condescending. The most condescending spirit ever. So I also learned she's an excellent public speaker. Yep! And then she disappeared for a week on, air quotes, business, which we'll get to later. I think actually in this session we find out what her business was. Do we? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we do. Okay. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Y'all, we do. Because I just skimmed down a little bit. Okay. So, and then we have our lovely uh, terrestrial friend, uh, Diego. Uh, Mr. Dio Brando. Yes. Uh, find out he came from a broken home with a criminal father who worked his mother to death. Jojo. Uh, and he was allowed in House Tepet because the father once saved a high-ranking member of the house and, through a life debt, allowed him into that house. Jojo! So, because of the time that he spent in sh Sunshade at this point, he's his realm loyalty intimacy to... Okay, his... I should say his loyalty intimacy to the realm is the way I should phrase it. His... Def his Major intimacy of loyalty to the realm... Is now a minor one. Because as we mentioned, they can fluctuate depending on how you 
work into that and work with that intimacy, whether you don't give into it or stuff of that nature, I guess I should say. Essentially, they've all social food him and uh, over over the course of a couple of weeks and months and then kind of went, hey, why aren't I think that one of the phrases that someone used is, don't you want to be on the winning side? Oh, and surprise me. Uh, but basically, his realm loyalty became a minor intimacy, and his uh, loyalty to Sunshade became a major one. So at that point, he was m- more of an actual ally than just a tentative one. Because we actually took care of him and didn't treat him like shit. I think that someone actually also spent XP on him to become an ally. Uh, I know I sat and learned medicine from him and uh, the Baroness. I ended up getting two dots in medicine because of it. And you actually gave them to me for free or discounted XP. I don't know I think I gave it to you a discounted or free. I can't remember. I want to say that someone decided to pick him up as an actual ally. Honestly, that wouldn't surprise me if that was Craig who did it. But I don't particularly remember off the I top of my I head. I don't either, and since it's not in the notes, um... No one remembers except so those characters. So, let's get to the, uh... Oh, yes. Also, he dislikes mortals who are lazy and anything that whines too much. Uh, so he basically raised himself up from the bottom of the barrel, and if he can do it, anybody should be able to do it. It's kind of his mentality. Which is a really shitty mentality, considering that he's a dragon-blooded, which means he's technically... Unexalted, which means that he's not like a he's normal still, person. He's not a normal person. He still has a better chance of being better than anyone, even if he's not a solar or something like that. He's still he's an exalted. Can live for three hundred plus years. Like doesn't he, mean he should, but he can. You all fucking loved him after he was on your side. Oh yeah, I threatened another solar because they threatened him. That ended some kind of way too. Yeah, that that ended some kind of way. Um, but uh, so you know how we mentioned the Baroness went on a business time. <laughs> so we found a boat in the harbor on the night okay. that the Baroness returns. Hold on, let me let me get this all out before you say a thing. Uh. So after she was gone for about a week, we find a boat on the harbor after she returns. So the boat was covered in blood that we kind of, we just kind of decided not to pay attention to that whole thing for the next three weeks. Okay. So about that. So John at work, nobody knew about this besides me and John. John at work went, hey, if I spend my XP on the Baroness being my ally, can I get her to do things? Yeah, sure, buddy. What do you want her to do? I want a boat. Okay. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, no, she'll go get that for you. Like, how is she going to get that for you? I'm not going to tell you until the next game. Don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. She, you imply to her that you want a boat. And she goes off and gets you a boat. Yeah, she's loyal to a fault. She's loyal to a fault, but also is a crap sack genie. And so know. she basically, like... Found a found a air quotes pirate boat. They were more like um, privateers. They were more like messing with trade because someone hired them to. I mean, we eventually a, find out it was a pirate boat later on. That's further down in the notes, but right. But I'm still like, 
she still just kind of like went on that boat, went war form. Which, by the way, I should probably mention that uh, normally seeing her, people get freaked out. But she had an amulet that made it so that people didn't normally get freaked out about her. It's like Sergei in his face mask. We'll get to that that guy eventually. That was my golden retriever, and I love him to death, even though he's not actually a golden retriever. Oh my god. I can't wait for our warp friends to hear this and just keep hearing the words Sergei if my fucking warp character ever dies. We'll see. Anyway, but yeah, no. She basically just went, oh, there's a boat. I'm going to go take the boat. Yep. And she took the boat. Yep. And murdered everyone on the boat mm. and gave the boat to Wayward because he wanted a boat. My solar uh, buddy wants a boat. My solar buddy's gonna get a boat. Exactly. Uh, so the next part was I established an orphanarium called not Sunshade Orphanarium, Sunshank Orphanarium. And that I mean, was mine. Sometimes you gotta shank people. Sometimes you gotta shank a bitch. And then I also spent, you know, my time getting two dots of medicine from Diego and the Baroness. I did, like, training and all that fun stuff and whatnot. I don't really have a lot of other stuff written down for what everybody else did during downtime. I do have a little bit. Uh, Like, Visionary brings a... (laughs) You're gonna... I'm gonna let you explain what they are, because it's gonna be funnier that way. Uh, so Visionary brings a Jala caravan of about a hot, hold on, of about a hundred back to work for him and, so that they are no longer slaves because Jala. Uh, so Visionary and then, brings like, an entire Rorschach of Jala. Like we said, uh, Wayward got his boat. This is the same boat we mentioned earlier. And we found out it was taken from pirates. And on the boat, we found two wood elementals. They're 12 feet long. They're giant mass of vines and That's roots. That's when he got princess and sunflower. Yeah, ending with uh, flowers. One ha- was white and one was yellow, which is really weird because that's not at all what my uh, the rest of my note says either way. Uh, so they're kind of Venus flytrappy with a snake body and tentacle vines. So princess was pink. See why this doesn't make sense? Why that says white and then yellow? But whatever. So princess uh, was pink with golden teeth and sunflower was yellow and looks like a sunflower. It's probably because I described it and then John described it. It's possible. I just write things down as I go along and sometimes I just don't go back and fully edit everything because it's a lot. I take a lot of notes. Uh, So Jala... So Jala. Jala are a race that is in Exalted. They are a diminutive race. Uh, At max, they stand about four feet tall. They are generally um, white with black splotches. They kind of look like panda people. They are almost completely hairless. And... Um, um, what was what was the canonical one? Was it Fakakun? What's her name? Fakakun, yeah. yeah. That, Fakakun is the canonical nightcast from second edition. She is nightcast, trust me. Um, if you look up um, the... Uh, if you, like, Google image search, like, Jala, it's D-J-A-L-L-A, uh, uh, Exalted. I think it's just one L. I want to say it's two L's, but I might be wrong. Um, but anyway, if you do if you do that in a Google search, the, most likely you're going to get Fakakun, who is the canonical nightcast for second edition. She's usually in like red robes, usually 
bowed down a little bit, like completely hairless. It's a it's a very weird race that used to be a servitor race in the first age. That used to be even smaller, but eventually interbreeding started happening. It is 1L, so my notes are not entirely wrong. Yay. It is probably, yeah, you are right. It is probably 1L. Uh, Yeah, she's pretty cool. She's just pretty cool, guys. Um, Let's see. Well, uh, so we also found out Wayward Sun's actual real people name that wasn't Young's exalted name. Yonzong Dao. Yep. And we mentioned earlier Visionaries was Davis. Mm-hmm. No one else really gives the real name. You um, find out mine later well, because, because I don't because get a choice. Well, I'm sorry. Craig gave his real name. Yeah, because Percival Hodgeworth. Craig, <laughs> Craig gave his real name of uh, Percival Hodgeworth, which he always went by. And Storm knew Seeker's real name, and Seeker knew Storm's real name, but that's just because they were involved. Um, but almost no, you know, yeah, because you have to know what fucking name to call it during sex. That was not at all the reason for it. I mean, I figured that was the reason for it. No, it was a trust thing. Uh, but here we I are. Mean, I mean, both are totally valid. Sure. Uh, so, Aseyu, because Aseyu's awesome, he's actually kind of one of my favorite NPCs. Um, That's Day Man. Yeah. I call I call him a Seiyu. You but can call him a Seiyu as much as you want. He's fucking day man. I know. Uh, so he was officially recognized as a citizen in Lookshy, Nexus, and because uh, I butchered Nexus apparently, and Great Forks. We found that out. And then, uh, <laughs> so Visionary and Seeker have a fun conversation where Visionary wants to find out uh, Seeker and Mai's true name. And Seeker is secretive due to intimacies and whatnot. And I just don't fucking know him well enough to tell him my name. And literally the whole campaign doesn't find out my name until way later on when we get to fucking Mount Metagalapa. Oh boy. Yeah. I forgot that I got revealed in Mount Metagalapa. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. I got revealed. It was said once. Once. It was said once during the entire campaign, and that's fucking great. Yep. Hey, great way to keep a secret there. Yep. I mean, I had aliases that I was known by in all their parts of creation, but here we are. Uh, so, because Seeker and Storm were just like, no, fuck off, we're not telling you our real names, and everybody else is being relatively upfront with what they were, there was a lovely argument discussion that ensued. Surprise! Told you, there's an argument discussion. Every session. Almost every session. Every uh, session. It gets better. Eventually. Once we get to Godbound. Eventually. <laughs> so like two years down the line. Look forward to that. Uh, so we're traveling to Great Forks. Uh, which is on the western end. And Wayward's Great family Forks is there. Is, so we decided to check on them as um, well. So I'm not going to give the full history of Great Forks here. But Great Forks is a major city and exalted in the scavenger lands it is called that because it falls at the forks of three different rivers um and so which makes it a great trading port thus great forks you're at the forks of three rivers there are some other reasons uh, with three being a very predominant 
uh, thing in it, but I'll get to that a, as a very predominant reason for it. As it gets revealed to the players, because I think that that makes. When we more started sense. playing Ally Gods, the game. Yeah, once you guys start playing Ally Gods games after the Killer Queen arc. <laughs> I have feelings about the Killer Queen arc. Um, JoJo references. Surprise. So when we get to Great Forks, Seeker goes off on his own and didn't want me following him. So, okay, well, the four, the rest of the four of us, and I think 50 of the black card? I have 50 mm-hmm. of the black yeah. card. Mm-hmm. Um, we go around the wall to get to the Opera House Mons. That's uh, right, Wayward Sons. which is Wayward Sons uh, Mons. Uh, there you guys find uh, Catholic Yosuke. Thank you, because I would never have said that right. Well, you have it written down here as Catholic. Look, when I originally wrote the notes, I didn't know how to actually spell it. And then I sat in on um, Lee's campaign, and I think he used a house Catholic. And that, that's... Catholic is C-A-T-H-A-K. Yeah, I sat in on his campaign a lot and actually did a little NPC for him for some characters because he didn't want to try and manage like seven NPCs for combat, which is fair. Uh, and so he had some house Catholic, I think... PCs, actually. Mm-hmm. I think that was... Uh, Catholic is predominantly a uh, firehouse. Yeah. Um, he was playing at the uh, at the old opera house. Yeah, the monks. So he... I have like, he's a, a sightless bodyguard of the realm. Mm, yes. And, and uh, the singer is blind. There's five so people Catholic in the So Catholic is the name of the uh, the t- is the actual name of the sightless bodyguard of the realm. Okay. Who is the? I think that we mentioned in the last episode that I kind of gave everyone um, villains to kind of work against. Uh, it wasn't fully stated, but it's kind of assumed. Like Dancer was my villain, and Throne was Devon's. Yeah. Um, um, so Catholic Yosuke was John's. He is the, he's a blind man who is a singer. He's small of stature. Has if an artifact are, microphone and a decanter of endless wine. He has an artifact microphone and a decanter of endless wine. He is, because he's blind and he's the bodyguard of the realm and a singer, he is Hanzi from Blind Guardian. Oh my god. How did I not get that reference? He is the singer. He if you've ever seen if you've How ever gone to a fucking Blind Guardian concert, this man is tiny and the most dad built man ever. He is adorable to watch. And like <laughs> he just like he wears like fucking button-up shirts like it's the fucking 80s. Like it's just Bowling shirts, and it's just like, oh my god, you're so adorable, Hansi. What the, what is going on? So yeah, so he was John's rival, his blind guardian. Uh-huh. 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 References. Um, but we get to meet and kind of greet with Wayward's family outside of the opera house, and they mentioned some weird people showing up at Chiroscuro, or Chiroscuro, how you want to pronounce it. Chiroscuro. Chiroscuro, or mm-hmm. both of my pronunciations are wrong. How about that? I'm probably going to continue to mispronounce things. So uh, you'll, you'll continue to mispronounce that until we get to God King. 
<laughs> that is the correct reaction to me mentioning God King. Oh, I, I, I love that character for certain reasons. And then exasperated by the character for certain reasons, too. Right? Um, so, Seeker is what's next on the notes. Uh, actually, well, I mean, Wayward has a tingling in the back of his mind while that song is being played by like, right, the group. Right, because he is playing a part of the opera. That's why he's the... That's why he's the rival. Yeah. So, like we said, Seeker went off on his own. Congrats. And he's talking to people to make sure he can set up some contacts here. It's very vague interactions back and forth. I don't have a lot of notes on it. One of the problems with this is that um, during this point, Devin decided that instead of being openly secretive, he would message me on Facebook to be secretive secretive. So nobody would metagame. I don't... Which uh, wasn't a huge problem with that group, but it did come up a couple times. Um, yeah, it did come up a couple of, couple of... It came up enough that that became the go-to with me and Devin. Yeah. Uh, so he meets, meets this uh, froggy boy man. That's literally how I have it written down. And I want you to envision, like, Danny DeVito... And, and he's called the troll and just kind of comes up to you and just like, Hey, Storm, you looking for something? That's not Danny DeVito voice. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck that is. not the fucking voice you use for him at all. Oh boy, what the fuck is the voice he... But he went up to Seeker and was just like, Yo, why are you encroaching on my, my turf? Uh, hey yo, fuck! That's my that's my fucking wheeler voice. Yeah, we're not. That's that's all. That's all a mage thing. But he and they that kind of want to make a deal for info. So they go to this dive bar, where Seeker notices this seasoned looking man following, trolling him around. Uh, and the dude follows him into the bar, and you know tries to read their lips. Uh, and eventually, the other guy, which is the actual boss, comes over. And they talk about looking for an info trade. And they know he's exalted and know about Sunshade. I mean, the city's kind of rising up and becoming a thing, so it's not a surprise there. Uh, but they just, they think it's weird that we're taking in all these people from Great Forks. Mm -hmm. So the boss works for Fist Kindly. Which does not get br brought up again, but Fist Kindly is a reference to um, Sergeant Kindly from Molotov Book of the Fallen, which is a... Which separate, I have not read yet. Which you have not read yet, which is a separate name for Shadow Throne. Makes sense. Makes sense. So then we go back to the four of us. You know, off doing our thing. And we kind of see, you know, Wayward's family selling and stealing from people around here. Not our group, but just other people around here. Because we're Wayward's friends, so why would you steal from us? <laughs> um, but we end up going inside the Mons, and we close it behind us. And ghosts have manifested and are moving about. They're basically moving about like uh, they're running a 1930s theater. They're giving popcorn to people and setting up things. Oh, something, something to note. Uh, so Wayward was very involved with spirits. 
And so spirits kind of are a thing throughout the campaign, even to the end, because we have a player later who ends up being involved with spirits. So, uh, but she doesn't come in until we switch over to Godbound. And then back to Seeker! So this old crone of a woman comes into the bar and wants to infiltrate uh, between, you know, our city Sunshade and hers. And they, they spitball some ideas, you know, promise certain amount of immunity to him and our group concerning their actions and, like, info organization and make sure the realm doesn't take over the scavenger lands because fuck the realm. Uh, as opposed to what, you know, the realm's been doing, trying to kind of deal with that. Trying to um, really get in there and try and either through trade make you all allies or through really bad for you business deals. Yeah, and the realm's just been trying to undermine them and the whole kit and the boodle. Anyone who is independent of the realm in the scavenger lands is basically like prime target for the realm to come in and be like, yo, we'll give you money. And if you're actively keeping resources or fucking with resources for an area at that point there's not a lot of options it's kind of like uprising or side with the realm mm -hmm. but you might also get an uprising because you're siding with the realm exactly eh, there's not really a good option at all you know people live and revolt or people die and revolt like we mentioned in the second episode or maybe even the first um no in the first that Creation is fucking huge. The yeah. scavenger lands are the size of Russia. If you're in the middle of Russia without instant communication and, and like, rapid transportation, like trains and shit, you being like, hey, we're under siege over here in Sajan. You, you, you can't do you're much about it. You're not going to expect help from the realm for about two fucking months at minimum. Yeah. So it's it's rough. There's not. Well, that's assuming that the realm can get past Lukshai. Yeah. yeah. I love Lukshai, man. So I've seen it before. Uh, so Seeker requested the. So Seeker requested to basically put an informant of his in the city, and uh, they'll put one of theirs in ours, which. He talked to us it, about he's making this side information deal. trade. He is the person who wanted to do that. He wanted to do these side deals. If it had, if he had kept playing that character, it would have been a good trade in the end. It would have worked out better. Yeah. But because he went to another character at some point in at the end of the Killer Queen arc, actually. Uh, yeah, about that time. I think once we got back literally, to the Sunshade. Literally end of Killer Queen arc. Yeah. Um, so, the the crown, because we don't, we find out her name shortly, very shortly after this, but we found out that her influence is mostly in great forts and kind of small outward villages. We also find out her name is Old Mother Rayton. And uh, so he makes a deal with her, and he actually oaths her, because... Seeker likes to oath people. But he doesn't really tell us what he offered to pay or trade her for this source of information that was kept from us. Right. So we just know he... I, I think we ended up knowing he made a deal, but he would not elaborate on what the prospects of it were. Right. Um, let me go back to the four of us again. 
So I ask about, Storm asked about Killer Queen stuff, um, or killers. We're not sure, because the podgepodge information we originally got from it. the whole arc is called the Killer Queen arc, because they're investigating a murder by the Killer Queen. Yeah, so the killer uh, got a goddess of intrinsic artistic expression. Oh my god, words. Right. Jeez. All right. Got a goddess of artistic expression. Thank you. And beauty. I don't have beauty written down, but I believe it's it. It's written in the uh, the other notes. Oh, that's fine. I don't know why I didn't write it right here. But her name was Neftolius. So she went missing one day, and other people who were very, like, beautiful have also gone missing. And just, there's no trace of them. So that became a big concern as well. Uh, then we go back to Seeker, who's now drunk because he's been in a bar, and he mm. sees the statue of Neptolius, ironically enough, and people grieving at it, and he decides to try to move them to Sunshade's worship, because, yeah. Um, so he just sits and blabs on about Sunshade for about, I don't know, like 10 minutes or something, mm-hmm. and Devin actually did this whole big speech for it, for Seeker. About how great that Sunshade is yeah. and how that will let you live as equals and blah, blah, blah. It's very, very typical. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, he rolled thing. really well on it, too. So people, you know, started following and praising Sunshade. But because he also blabbed about Sunshade and what it's about. And so because his big thing was being very secretive, he actually gained a point of limit for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also, on the same lines of Neptolius, we find out that Asayu used to date her, and she's the one who actually made him that yellow scarf. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Seeker tells us about being approached by Troll and some of the deal he made with other, old Mother Rayton, but as we said, he never told us too fine a specifics on it. So we decide, you know, Great Forks is having these issues, but, for, but we need to go to the Vats to take care of Asayu. I think we were just passing through Great Forks on our way. You guys were passing through Great Forks on your way to the Vats to take care of Asayu. The Vats are a Vat facility that basically uh, administers repairs and maintenance to alchemicals. One of the very interesting things about this is because you guys stopped at Great Forks instead of going to the Vats. I started up the Killer Queen murder arc. I basically went, how long did it take for you guys to get to the Vats, Mm -hmm. do the Vats? If you guys had stayed in there longer, the Killer Queen's murder spree would have gone longer. I believe it. Every day that you all took to go to Vats and back, dealt with Vats, I made a roll. I saw if it did something, and ironically, the last day before you all went back to Great Forks oh, from the Vats she died? was when the Killer Queen killed Wayward Son's mother. Yeah, which you'll find out about later on, I think either the next session or the one after that. Uh, but we have to go and fix him, we have to go to the Vats, and like I said, we were passing through, so we figured we'd check in with his family, and we learned about the situation, mm-hmm. so while we're on the way to the Vats, we're thinking about different ideas for what we can do to help with this situation and figure it out, and one of our potential ideas was to use a very beautiful person as bait, uh, and hopefully whoever it is will follow them, we can find out who's, you know, stealing and killing people, because, you know, 
it, we're gonna need to find that out. You know me. what the modus operandi of the killer queen is. So. That's actually the end of that session. That's the end of that session. Um, we will be back with questions in just a moment. All right. So we got a couple of questions, and some of these we are not going to be able to get through all of them. So we're going to have a couple for the next episode, which is great for us. Yay. Thanks for sending stuff in, guys. We appreciate it. So Inspirations was the first one, right? So, the first one comes in from Jane N., who asks, what are some of your biggest inspirations for LARPs? Okay, so uh, I'm going to start this off by saying my LARPing experience, because I don't think I've gone into detail, really. I don't remember if I have or not. Uh, so... I'm going to start this off by cracking open a new beer. <laughs> so, I've been tabletopping for 10, 11 years, I think since I was like 18 or 19. Um, and I've been doing LARP almost as bad as long actually so I I started for maybe about a year doing kind of my friend's backyard really campus backyard LARP that he was trying to get off the ground oh my and, god backyard fucking Avalon uh I mean, it wasn't Avalon it was a, a LARP that a see I remember friend... I, I remember backyard Avalon with Joe and Ashley running it well, so this was a, a friend who was trying to kind of build his own LARP, and it didn't pan out. It just, it, there was no time for it and everything like that. And As he, these things happen. And so he did that for maybe about a year, and I participated in that, and I had friends who were doing Avalon and kept trying to get me to go for almost that whole year and before that. So I started Avalon in 2011 and went until it stopped in 2016. So five about right. five years there, and I played in both chapters uh, had two different characters, and then I started playing uh, Stormflux, the second um, event that that started up. Uh, and in between those two, actually, I did kind of some staffing, like storytelling stuff and NPCing stuff for a LARP that also didn't really get off the ground for various reasons called uh, Godstone. So that's kind of where my experience is at with both of those. Uh, as far as tabletopping, I've done a slew of that, and I don't even want to get into the list of that. Um, right, but what's your inspiration for LARPing? I guess that the better question is not necessarily what's your inspiration for LARPing, but like, what's your inspiration for your LARP character? So for uh, I'm gonna talk about Stormflux and Avalon because those are my three uh, main PCs that I've played. Um, the other two I wanted didn't really I staffed. Um, loosely staffed. Right. And then the other one, it's just, no offense, but it's not really worth talking about. Uh, so for Avalon, I played a Gurnai named Tawny. And for me, it was my first really big LARPing experience with a big group of people. So I played something very close to home. I looked to the different races and what kind of pinged to me. So that character was very much me. So there wasn't like a lot of outward inspiration. So I played it very soft-handed until I found stuff that you kind did, of inspired you did, me. You did a lot of stuff that was you, but in a fantasy. Realm. Yeah. And uh, I found with characters, pick like one aspect in, of yourself and personify it. So for Tawny's, it was very much family is very important. If you fuck with family, you end up dead. Um, That's... 
That is one of the most interesting things I've heard from you because that is something that goes through literally every character that I've ever role-played ever is their through line. And this is probably just as a me thing, as a Brendan thing, Mm -hmm. is from a big Italian family. And a big Irish-Italian family is... Family is everything. You fuck with family, you fuck with me. Like, I don't get me wrong, I love my, my blood family, but my friends are the family that I chose, and so I'm very protective of them. And right. it comes across very much so in characters that I play. Most characters that I play are very friend-is-family or family-oriented. Um... Tawny, like, took care of her people, and through learning more of the game, I became inspired to, like, pursue the entities that the girl and I followed, which were the sprites, and kind of had a neutral basis towards all of the alignments of those, even the dark ones. I treated them all equally, and I got a lot of shit for it, because, you know, most people don't want you to treat those dark entities with any kind of compassion or care, I treated them all equally. Well, I mean, that makes sense in Avalon. Avalon, especially Mershank, the northern chapter in Virginia, uh, it was a very lawful, good chapter. <laughs> and the Oasis was very chaotic, and it just which is what it is. brings me into the inspiration for my first LARP character, which was Bandini, who was literally, like, the name, everything, was inspired by a friend's WoW character who we named a fucking drink after called the Amazing Bandini, which was Hurricane and Mountain Dew Voltage? One of the weird Mountain Dew... The blue one, but not the blue one you can get anymore. It was called the Amazing Bandini. Got it, okay. And, like, it was fucking delicious. But, like, basically Bandini's whole thing was I kind of based it off of, like, I'm a poor, working, part-time retail person who barely gets anything to himself. What's my big thing going to be? I want to be greedy. I want to be fucking rich. That's my fucking fantasy is I want to be rich. I tried to get in with the with the Traders Guild. I tried to do all this kind of stuff. And, like, I swear to you, there was literally a point where one of the staff, like, went, oh, no one's actually looting these corpses. I'm going to just throw coin on the ground. And I, and I was the only one who saw it. And I just kind of went, like, shook my head back and forth, looked at people, and then just picked up two golds worth of silver. Yeah. So, like, Tawny was very family-oriented. She also, because she was so family-oriented, because, uh, like I said, I love my family. I don't have probably the best relationship with my actual family. Like, I've seen a lot of people have, but that happens. It it just is what it is. So, uh, my LARP family and my friends outside of LARP and everything like that have kind of always been my family. And I guess I kind of wanted that, and I was in a place where I needed that at the time. And I started, I started Avalon when I was 21 and I'm 29 now. So different parts of my life. I was in college and stuff like that. I mean, I started Avalon at 27, I think. Um, 
probably about right, yeah. But I had heard about Avalon for years and years before that. I had heard about Avalon back in 10th grade of high school. Uh, Joe had tried to get me to join multiple, multiple times. I just could never get the time off to go, or I didn't feel like I could because I was working in a commission environment where that the yeah we're taking a weekend off turned my paycheck from being like an eight hundred dollar paycheck to a three hundred dollar paycheck because I didn't sell all the fucking TVs. Yeah. Like I couldn't do that. So when I finally changed uh careers or jobs or whatever, I could do that because I had a set schedule. I knew what what the amount of money I was getting was going to be steady. You had consistent pay versus commission pay. Right. Um, so one of the other th- weird things about that character is, is that because of um, our friend Maury, um, one, of the th- one of the aspects of myself and the character that kind of came out was he was very, because he was playing a Sempty who's that there's just their race is matriarchal. So I picked that because I went, oh yeah, if some girl or person who plays as a girl could um dominate me, I'm going to be very submissive to them because that was the kind of person I was at the time. And boy, did Mori ever turn me into this whimpering little puppy. I went from being this weird kind of sempty who hung out with barbarians and just kind of dicked around and did his thing and did uh, militia stuff to, oh, Maury said a thing and is giving me commands. (laughs) Vamir put their foot down. Vamir put their foot down and I'm going to be absolutely subservient to this because that was the kind of character that I played and that was the kind of person I played. But if you, but that's like almost the exact opposite of what I play now in LARP, which is Charlie Blues, which is. Do you want to go back and forth? I talk about one and you talk about one and then I talk about one. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, So another character I played. So, Tawny was very uh, neutral, but also kind of chaotic, because I just, I like a little bit of chaos and everything, and I just can't help it, it's just who I am as a person. It's very hard for me to play, like, that lawful good person, because I, I honestly actually get kind of bored with it after a while. Uh, I don't know why. See, I, just... I, I feel like you would have fun playing lawful good in Stormflux, because everybody else in Stormflux is not lawful good. As, so I'm you would have in, fun with it. I'd sit in butt heads opposed, with so many people. As opposed to in Avalon, where that in Mershank, you are everybody lawful good. Uh, don't not, you dare say everybody is lawful good in okay, Mershank, man. If you're not lawful good or pretending to be lawful good, so you're that's getting why, in trouble. So that's why I bring up Vera. So I wanted... <laughs> if you know Christina as a person, you know that I really like shadow and darkness and shit like that. Uh, I like... The nighttime, I like the moon. I just, I very much am that person, and I always have been since I was a kid. So there was a race called Ultec, which were all about shadows and the Fiendin, and they're a patriarchal society. Wait, 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 wait. What the fuck is a Fiendin? 
the Undyne were the name of the entities. Like sprites okay. were for Gurnai, uh, worms oh, were for Sen. Okay, okay, okay. I did not know um, that. And so my roommate at the time was playing an Ultec, and I'd always really liked the Ultec race because they were also very much like, you know, blood in our races first type of thing. And that's just the, that's just kind of the races I geared towards at that time. And I had my hands in so many pots as Tawny that it was getting overwhelming. So after one of our big, after our big Halloween event, I was just exhausted. I was like, fuck it. I'm bringing out my new character for a while. And that race is all about shadows. So I was like, I want to give it a try. And I really liked it. And I played it as a darker character because I, people, Tawny was a good way for people to see who I was as Christina before bringing a dark character that people were probably not going to like. I didn't expect Vera to last past a year because she was just not a good person. Right. Like she stole from other PCs. She stole from NPCs. Uh, she uh, PK'd somebody uh, and poisoned the town water and just was not a fucking good person. And I didn't <laughs> try and hide it. Oh boy. I didn't try and hide the shit that, well, I hid the shit that she did, but I wasn't like pretending to be some goody good two shoes. I was like, I am, I am a Shire fighter. I use water magics to manipulate people. Like she just wasn't a good person. Like she was slowly becoming a better person towards the end of the game, but she just wasn't a good person. It's just, Plain and simple. There's nothing about it. And so, like, my inspiration for it was just the race itself. Because I'd been playing Avalon for a little while at the time, I knew more about the races in and out of character. Um, and I was very drawn to the Ultec. So I played it and found... Whereas v- Tawny was all over the place, Vera was very streamlined. And I went towards, you know, shadows, uh, water and ice, and at autopsy anatomy. She has a fanaticism for autopsy anatomy that got ridiculous to the point where I was dragging like plague and disease things in slinging them on tables and dissecting them right there and people were like Vera we fucking eat here like what are you doing it's like I'll clean up afterwards it's fine <laughs> oh boy all that reminds me of is fucking Kendra why are you doing that Kendra why are you coming why are oh, you oh I, I told I told Brit that what's really funny is with the way she used to play Azrith and the way I originally wanted to start playing Doe, which is my Stormflux character, and the way she plays, uh, like, Doe and my and Vera and Kendra and Azrith were kind of a, a switch where we kind of embody each other's roles. Right. Doe later on went a lot more shadow, and that's kind of her goal and her aspiration is shadows and occultation, but that's that's a later thing. I would love to, uh, the next time we have Iron Kingdoms run, I might uh, run uh, another Let the Dice roll with brick here and -hmm. other people who want to hang around late at night to kind of answer these questions i think that'd be really fun to do yeah and just it could just literally be about larp and tabletop and not one of the exalted sessions so yeah no no that sounds great to me but Um, yeah like tawny was all family and her people and everything like that vera was very streamlined and she's about shadows she had like three particular things and like she cared about her race sort of but why don't you go ahead and talk about Charlie? So, first off, um, one of the through lines that I have with Bandini and Charlie is is that family was first. Um, that's something that's just, it's so hard to let go of as a player. No, I understand. That 
I bring that into everything. Um, it's something that I've always RP'd with through every fucking character that I've ever RP'd with. And I've been role-playing since I was 11 years old, and I am... Uh, I'm, I'm 32. I'm, I'm almost going on fucking 22 years of role-play. Everything was always about family. Um, that's one of my few through lines that's just like, you don't betray family is the big thing. That's why, like, last Avalon, the, the very last Avalon event, like, we all made our big Simpty pact, and we had Xandric and Vamir and me and someone else that I can't fucking remember. <laughs> I feel really bad about that. But we all came in, and, like, it was just, like, we're all family now, and we're a tribe, and that, this, this is our big thing Michelle. that we did. Yeah. We did all this. And for Charlie, his inspiration came from two things. First off, we hadn't been LARPing for like two years. Between Avalon going out and Stormflux and being told about it. And like, I looked into other LARPs and I just didn't find anything that really... Uh, called to me until like my 30th birthday party and uh, Will came down and was like hey you should play Storm Fox and it's super easy to get into because you know what you know if you don't like it like just put if you're not sure just play a fucking downtowner all you gotta do is get like a black shirt and a fucking pair of jeans and you're a fucking greaser blah 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 you can just be whatever you want. Get a baseball bat. Get a fucking baseball bat. I love that bat fucking baseball bat, and man. Like, whatever. Or, or a Nerf gun. And just kind of fucking do whatever. If you don't like it, it's no big deal. If you do, cool. You can keep coming back. And my original inspiration for Charlie was from a character that I was role-playing at the time online named Sunir, who was the prince, uh, who was the like, fourth-in-line prince who would never get anything from his family because they're all a race of fucking immortals and, like, he's supposed to be a prodigy, but everyone's better than him, and he's just going off and doing his own shit and, like, falling in love and being a detective and preferring, like, as opposed to, like, we're going to be, like, because I was playing in a freeform roleplay group, like, we're, we're from a space empire, and we're going to just conquer these worlds. And he's like, fuck you, Dad, I don't give a shit about that. I want to just fall in love and have kids and be a normal person and just live my life. And I don't give a shit about your bullshit. And my original concept for Charlie was basically... He's a downtowner who used to be a wayfarer who lost all of his inheritance gambling and his... You suck at gambling out of I character. suck at gambling so bad. And his family disowned him. So now he went downtowner, which is basically the greasers were down on our luck mafia 
alleyway junction, like, we're going to break your kneecaps. We're going to break your kneecaps, and that's how we roll. And he wants to get revenge on his family. Well, I kind of changed that up to he's more of a smarter guy, and he... Um, he has a lot of, like, he, he's knowledgeable about books, but he's also not, like, he's a book smart person, but he's not a street smart person. Which is really funny for a downtowner, in my opinion, but it's kind of a nice, uh... It's a nice change. Yeah. He, he gets, he gets intellectual stuff, but he doesn't understand, um, how... Gambling works. How gambling works. He doesn't... <laughs> He's incredibly good at lying because he lies all the time. My favorite lie that was ever told was the, um, anytime that anyone asked about our family when me and Cyphus still played was, hey, where's your family off to? And, well, I mean, we didn't know and our family hadn't been played at the time. Which changed. Which did change eventually. But we just kind of went, oh, yeah, we found this floating air. We found this floating ship. So they're off across the sea and just Doing raiding whatever. places. Or the or the story of when the uh, gun mages became available, which was, hey, Cyphus, where'd you get that gun? And my buddy Jake just kind of goes in and me and him are just talking about this great raid upon a town and about how this one guy <coughs> in this pretty vest Water time. because I was wearing a nice vest at the time just kind of mm. goes oh I'm gonna defend this town and you that, can't you know, stop me cream colored vest that we kind of yeah. repurposed for yeah it was way. that cream colored vest oh yeah. man yeah so that, I, so that I used to wear so a cream colored vest now. and with a uh, with a nice tie and everything and he's just like oh I'm gonna defend this town and he defends the town from a bunch of bandits but eventually he falls and then the story ends with Cyphus going hey dad I really liked his gun can I have his gun and I just kind of go hey pops I really liked his vest. Can I have his vest? <laughs> because the joke is, is that we're the fucking bad guys who take over the town. Because me and my family, me and my family eventually are like this group of books, book smart bandits, bandits, but are really not super street smart. So like, they believe in the thought of thieves' honor. They think that. Thieves don't think don't steal among thieves and blah blah blah. Like they're very weird in their con in their conception, but also like it makes sense because they live in a fucking library and he's a very weird character to play, but at the same and time And now he's becoming a Dracula. <laughs> And now he's becoming a Dracula. <laughs> One of my favorite things, though, is, is that after playing Sunir, who's the original concept for that character, and then playing Charlie, I really like the, um, I really like the similarities between them, because mm -hmm. Sunir originally fell in love, like, hard fell in love with a gunsmith. <laughs> yep. And Charlie is now married, happily married, <laughs> to a tinkerer and golem technician. Yep. Also, Kendra knows a lot about anatomy. So, you know, I mean, that helps a lot. Sure, in sure. In the bedroom. Uh-huh. Um, 
I guess I should talk about Doe a little bit. I'll try you to should probably talk a little bit. I'll, about I'll try to keep it somewhat brief because I think we've spent like twenty minutes just or more on just this one question and we've got at least like five more we want to get through. So strap in guys, this is probably gonna be like a two hour episode at this point. Um so Doe, who is my character for Stormflux, is actually based off of a Pathfinder character that I did. So uh I played same name too, actually. So my Omama, my great-grandmother on my dad's side, uh, was named Adalia. It was actually almost my name, but she looked at my parents and said, please don't do that to her. And my parents decided to be Christina instead. <laughs> so that character was uh, kind of a custom race, but very fey-tied and had like pointed elf ears. And started, it was like a very earthy, elementalist, uh, druidic kind of character. Uh, so let's see. And so the weird thing is, I started off playing Doe as a healer. Uh, she came in tech. Wait, you're not a healer anymore? I'm still a healer as Doe, man, okay? That is one card I have not lost yet, thank goodness. Um, and so she was the healer of the group. She was very earthy with the cacophony that was the rest of that group of pirates and bullshit. And so Doe came in as this healer who was technically, but not technically factualist, because I don't really want to say too much about her backstory on that. Uh, the people that know about that need to know about that. And um, so I came as a healer. She eventually became a tracker, which, uh, tracker of the god beast, uh, through a couple of events and developed that. So she started wearing more furs and... Um, kind of being more of an earthy character, which is the route I was trying to go. Well, little did I know I would end up going very much down the path that that Pathfinder went. So that Pathfinder character, uh, because of her weird ties and who she was as a person, was always the person investigating things because the boys I was playing with were not very book smart or uh, into kind of studying things and any nature-oriented stuff. So Leah, which was the original character's name, Autolia, uh, Leah for short, would do a lot of the studying and looking into things. So we had a tree, this weird like tree in this one place, I think it was, and I touched it. And I found out of, in the eventual that I was the only character that could have touched it without instantly dying. So... I got involved with earthen shadow bullshit. Oh boy. And ended up failing most of my roles to not be basically overtaken by this hive mentality of shadow creatures that were also tied to earth. I succeeded on one role, which kept me from going hive mind, but it made my skin um, black and my veins would run as starlight. And I could do some weird shit with shadowy stuff. And that character, I missed a session, and the boys come back to me and hand me this egg <laughs> from another plane. And they're like, here, you like this stuff, figure it out. So I sit and study this egg, and it hatches, and is a murder monster baby that bonded to me, and anybody that would kind of fuck with me, it would try and murder. Wow. Oh. Um, the reason both of these things are very funny for Doe 
is, uh, as I started playing the game, I figured out where my niche was. I, like I said, I, I, as I mentioned with Vera, I really like shadows and stuff. And so I started looking into Umbral, which is shadow stuff. There's other things to it, but it's kind of a basis of a shadow stuff. And uh, Occultation, which has to do with... Um, it works with uh, barriers and wards and hiding things and things like that. And so I, I found that stuff really interesting. So I didn't know, I kind of had an idea that I wanted to do a healer that did hide and seek. So I was looking at the cards ahead of time and I talked to people, but I didn't really fully know what I wanted, the rabbit hole I wanted to go down as that character until maybe about a year in. And I went full blown, like, occultation's my jam, umbral's my jam, healing's my jam. I want to do pathfinding also so I can find things. And that's what the character became. So I went into shadows. Shadows became my stuff. And then uh, we ended up finding some drakes. And I brought an egg back. And we didn't really know what we were going to do with them at the time. We just were like, we have these eggs. Let's hatch them and see what happens. And I had a glacial drake bond to me. So <laughs> looking back now, the original inspiration ended up going very much down the path of the original inspiration. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that happens sometimes. I didn't mean Some, for it to happen, but that know, is what it is. Hey, listen, I didn't mean to fall in love with the gunsmith, but <laughs> sometimes you just make really bad television references in Discord, and the person laughs at it, and you just kind of kind of yeah. go along with it. I can't. I can't. I, the only reason I feel like I got away with what I did with fucking with with Kendra is because I made Manable references, and I don't think Kendra's player oh, is old enough to know what the fuck Manable is. <sighs> but yeah, so I guess my inspiration for LARP characters is I have a very vague concept or something that I've done before, something that interests me, and I look into it and I go down the rabbit hole and decide if I like it or not. And then keep going down the rabbit hole if I do. But I've had two characters involved with shadows because it's just it just it's my thing, and that's I don't really know if I need to say more on that, inspirations for yeah. other characters. No, there are other characters that I have inspirations for that I want to play. Um, you and me have talked multiple times about uh, at least in past episodes about the character Sergey. Yes. Who is literally my inspiration for getting into shape in case Charlie dies. I mean, if Doe dies, I would play my mage character, Rory. And I don't think anybody is prepared for that. Uh, because uh, that would involve me getting, I like, don't think I don't think Christina is prepared for me to suddenly get into super buff boy shape and play Sergei, who is a golden retriever, lawful, good paladin. He's he's so good. He is my golden retriever, Storm, and I, I love don't, him to I death. don't think any person at LARP is prepared for me to play a golden retriever. I mean, Doe's Do's taken still. <laughs> as far yeah. as anybody's concerned. You know what? <laughs> You know what? You say that, and then Sergei will show up. You, you, you gotta, you gotta fight a Dracula. <laughs> I will fight all the Draculas. I will stake them right through the heart, oh right God. through the heart, and put them into torpor. Oh gosh! Now we're making World of Darkness references. All right, yeah, well, that's where okay, we're at. So, next, so, let's go to the next question because we, so we literally spent like thirty is, minutes on just one. Yeah, right. Well, it was a good fucking question. You, you know, you have a good question when you spend thirty minutes on it. So thanks for the question. Thank you so much for the question, Jane. So next question is going to be from Will, which is a question for both of you. What do you find to be the most challenging thing for you at LARP? 
either on a character level or even a meta level? So, um, my, my big thing is I, for me to get into character, I need to be very immersed in the mindset of my character, in my environment, with the people that I'm interacting with. Uh, so immersion is a huge thing for me. If I don't feel immersed, I have trouble staying in character and keeping that focus and having the right mentality for it. And it's as simple as me having my right outfit, me having certain things on me, me listening to the right music before I go to an event. Because I actually have soundtracks for tabletop characters, all my LARP characters. Uh, I actually don't have a lot for Doe right now, but it's not awful to get into the mentality for her. Um... And I need immersion from other players, other people staying in character and acting as their right. character would. No, and no, no, no. I to- environment I totally, as well. I totally agree with that. There was a point in my first event where that uh, a player broke character hard, and I got really just. Actually, also during Avalon, this happened a few times where that I got really just upset with them that people just broke character super hard. Like sometimes it's fine to be like. Aha, uh-huh. you know this reference. Huh? He's killing all the younglings. Blah blah blah. Like it's one thing to yell out a fucking meme, and it's another thing to be like, "I'm a reference, fucking football." Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. So for me, like tavern decorations, cabin decorations, like uh, I made a point an Avalon and Stormflux to try and decorate my cabin. The Gurnai cabin always had bells hung up and scarves, and I have so much fabric because I sew and craft and shit that I used to just hang things up over, like, bins to so they look in character and put props on them. And, like, the Hunter's cabin for Stormflux, when we have the decorations there and we deck it out, I think it's pretty baller. Like, it's fucking amazing. We have uh, furs, we have bones, like, we have a, like, it's awesome and I love it. And the Ultec cabin, I handmade a lot of decorations. I wrote in sign now, I made circuitry, uh, and I'm so done with doing circuitry after a particular NPC costume. I don't want to do it anymore <laughs> without some patterns. And uh, I just, I like that immersion. So if I don't have that immersion for me, it's really, I struggle to stay in character and I struggle to find a happy lark environment i guess is a good way to put it so i feel like that you are answering the question of on a meta level of you coming in as a player and trying to get in character whereas i'm gonna answer at least right now like we can kind of back and forth here but my on a character level um the thing that is challenging for me on a character level is doing really emotional bits. Um, I'm a very high emotion person, but when I say high emotion, I mean like I'm really good at expressing anger and um, like no, no, no. Like last last event, you all fu- you all fucking heard me at NPC cabin yelling, "I'm a fucking kill Mordecai." <laughs> we did. We heard you pull all his heart NPC. out and eat it. Like it just, I'm very good at getting that anger out. I'm very good at getting like these, like very angry or very happy or very excited things, but the hardest thing for me is getting subtlety out. 
And I think that some of the things that I've gotten that, that really play for me for subtlety are two things. Okay. One happened last event when that I was told I am a Dracula. <laughs> because I'm embracing my blood magic. So garlic hurts me. Doesn't hurt me like it takes health levels away, but it's painful to eat. Well, I'm fucking half Italian, so the first thing that they cook, of course, is fucking lasagna. No, did you our lovely, lovely neighbors cook that for us? Our lovely, lovely neighbors who I've met before who have fucking cannibalistic tendencies um, cook fucking lasagna, and I'm like, hey, is there any, like, human meat in there? Because I'm legitimately interested in it now that I'm embracing my Jacqueline nature. Um, and they're like, no, 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 of course not. We're not gonna, we're not gonna subject these people to that kind of thing. You'll have to come out to us. Is there any garlic in it? Yes. Shit. So I'm literally eating this lasagna with a mask on my face, and I am, it takes a bit, but I'm forcing tears out of my eyes. Going, this lasagna is so fucking good. It's so good. And people are coming up to me like I'm actually in pain. Like, actually, legi- like, legitimately something is wrong. I- I've had that happen to me before, too, when I've RP'd, like, taking effects and, like, RP'd my damage. I've had people pause, like, are you okay? I was like, no, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm showing you that it's impacting me. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> And people are just like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? This is so fucking good. I love lasagna. But it's got garlic in it, and it hurts, and people are like, what the fuck are you doing? I love lasagna, and I'm like, there's tears fucking streaming down my, down my face, <laughs> and the other thing that I fucking remember is literally the event between me, bet- the event before the first big story, um... Conclusion for the ballad. Oh, the ballad. Me, I have so many feelings about Char- the ballad. Charlie and Kendra get together as an official couple. And me and Britt, who have known each other out of character for a bit, but haven't really hung out, so we're not sure if we're super close or anything, wanted to give it a shot. And, like, we find out that, yeah, no, you, me and her kind of jive and can role play safely. Yeah, because I, I feel like without it, the, the one ble- comment without I, it bleeding over. Yeah, I, the one comment I will make is uh, for in character relationships, I feel like you need to have a good understanding in character and out of character with the person and be on a lot of comfort levels with it. Uh, especially if they have a significant other, you need to have that conversation. Just like, hey, this is somebody I might want to date in character. Is this okay with you? Right. And just have a mutual understanding. So, like, you know, they've gone on a date in in character in, in over Discord. They've gone on a date at the actual LARP. And then the ballot happens. At which point, Kendra and a bunch of other people are getting sacrificed. And <laughs> Kendra, Doe, my character, and Kombe. <laughs> and a bunch of other people are also getting sacrificed on other tri-corners. Uh, no, it was just the three of us. It was just the three of you? I thought yeah, it was... Yeah, that the... was the first moment that I was right. like, well, fuck, I might have to make a new character. I don't... Yeah, no, Jeez. no, no one knew if these characters were permanent. Not, not, not the GMs, to my knowledge, not the players, to my knowledge. And it gets to the point where Kendra's going down, and I 
Like, Charlie is a very broken person when it comes to love because his fiance had died because by his own fucking hands. And he'd never said anything like this. Like he'd been with women before. He's uh he he'd been a playboy. He'd like he'd tried to be just kind of a generic playboy and just kind of not get attached to people. And then Kendra goes down and she's going in to bleed out and I try to whisper it to the point that only she can hear. And like, apparently everyone can hear because I'm not very good at whispering. And I just kind of go, Kendra, I love you. And this is the first fucking time that Charlie has said this at all. And over discord, over anything. And I like can feel the tears welling up in my eyes as I kind of imagine something like this happening with someone that I actually love. I can look at Kendra's player and go, oh, fuck, I just hit a fucking chord. And I look over after this is done, and I see other people wiping fucking tears from their eyes as I say this. And I nearly fucking screwed that entire mod up because all I could think it about was... It wasn't just you. It wasn't just me, but I was still part of it, of almost screwing that entire mod up, because all that that character could think about was, I am so head over heels in love with this woman that I would give everything for her. Uh, but we came back. But you all <laughs> came back. About, like, literally a year to the day later, um, Charlie and Kendra got married. It's so sweet. Um, that vest, man. So yeah, that vest. achievement of that, that outfit. That fucking vest. I'm gonna. All right. So our next question is sent in from. Uh, well, I know that we're not getting into the meta of me, but. What? What? Uh, the the, the meta stuff. You you answered a lot of the meta stuff for your last question. Oh, I mean. But uh. I don't have as much warp experience as you do, so I don't feel like I have a whole lot of meta experience with that, so I'm going to uh, just kind of skip me for now, and maybe one day I'll come back to that and kind of give my opinion on that. Also, we don't want to sit and spend an hour just on one question. because I mean, don't we? We could. We could. We could spend an hour on one question we, we that also, got asked earlier. We also just got requested to uh, for me to get wine drunk. And, and uh, talk. And, <laughs> I, and I'm sorry ahead of time, so that might be a thing we do now, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that might be a next week question of the wine drunk episode of the wine drunk. Are we both going to get wine drunk? Because I'm different from wine I, and beer I, drunk. I don't think I've ever seen you wine drunk before. Oh, boy, you and me should get wine drunk together. I need three bottles just myself. Oh, man, or, or should we get whiskey drunk? No, don't get me whiskey drunk. Okay, I won't get you whiskey drunk then. Wine, we'll... wine drunk is a little little belligerent, but I'm I get loud and okay. And what very... happens when you're whiskey drunk? You will never find out. Won't I? I have a whole collection of whiskey over there. I don't get drunk off of whiskey. I'm... I get sick off of whiskey because I'll drink so much to try and get drunk, and I'll get sick before I get drunk. Okay, that's fair. Okay. There's a um... couple alcohols like that where I can sit and drink and drink and drink and drink. I'll get sick, and then I'll keep drinking. Okay. I never actually get, like, okay, full-on okay. drunk. <laughs> okay, so we will both get wine drunk to answer that question from GM Curly, which is, 
and I'm going to put it on record here so that we all know to answer it, which is, why do you LARP? That's a whole episode in and of itself. That is a whole episode in and of itself. That will be a bonus episode. That won't just be a let the good dice roll episode. That will be a bonus episode. Let the drunken dice roll. Let the drunk dice roll. You know what? Honestly, if we can get enough people down here, I would love for that. I would love for you, me, Julia, Britt, Maury, if he wants to, everyone else who wants to just kind of hang out and be like, hey, why do you LARP? I would love for that to be a big group episode. Yeah, that could be really fun because we have have a lot of friends who LARP because, you know, that's our community. That's a very heavy percentage of my friend bases that I met through LARP from one or the other. Okay, so I'm going to get a question from our buddy Timmy D, who is an old LARPer who's looking to join Stormflux. Um, And this is a more system-heavy question. Is, um, let's see, um, how does death work in Stormflux? So we can can approach that from two sides of it. So Uh, I think we can approach that from three sides of that, because we can also compare it to the LARP that he used to play, which was Avalon. uh, That's true. That's very true. A comparison uh, of bases... How does death work in Avalon? Because I never died in Avalon. (laughs) I died... Tawny died technically five times. One didn't count because it was a weird staff miscommunication. Uh, So she went on record with four deaths. Always at Morsander, which was our big Halloween event. It's very much like Ravenloft. Uh, I would love to have you and everyone else who was in Morsander, like, have an episode of just talking about it, even if it's just me not, me just giving so many stories from Morsander. I know, but I want to have it, like, on record, just so that people can hear, like, I love how Stormflux did their Halloween event, but, like, and and I hate making comparisons to other LARPs. But like it, it happens because like you do things that are in a similar vein. Like I you compare tabletops, you compare LARPs, you compare most. Things. I have heard stories of Morsender since I was sixteen from Joe and Chad and you and Julia and Ashley and everyone else, and I feel like that there's a thing that other LARPs can learn about how to do spooky-ass fucking Halloween events. I mean, to be fair, like, this last Stormflux event... This last Stormflux event was fucking great! But... I... And I... And this is such a heavy but. Because everyone who was there on Spooky Mod was fucking, like, ace on point and everything. But I wanted everything... To be that. I didn't want... I... The, the, the thing with it is, you can't saturate a whole event with that. I mean, so here's the thing. More standard, yes, it was saturated with uh, gore, and like at one point they used actual body parts, for lack of a better term. Like, they used an actual cow tongue that they nailed to a wall, and someone licked it, but that's a whole side story. So they actually used shit like that, but that's not a realistic thing to do, because... More standard, it was more money, it was more XP, because Avalon was an XP system, and it just, it wasn't everybody's cup of tea, so a lot of, a lot of people didn't go to it, so if you tailor the event to just spook stuff, then a lot of people aren't going to want to go, and that kind of ruins the fun for them. 
So them having, so Stormfolks doing the spook mods that you could go on if you wanted to go on was a nice way to be like, if you're I mean, interested in this, go and do it. We want to give you the option to have spectacular I mean, shit. I mean a good- but we also want to tailor to people who don't do that. And I think that was a very good way to do that's it. A, that's a very fair way to do it. Um, I think that maybe running smaller events that are like not in Crash Point. Like like a one day where like do you remember when we went I when we went to fuck where was it in fucking Avalon um the the underground place oh uh underneath the Estrace yes uh, or Lysander I think yeah. it might have been under both of them yeah what what was that fucking called uh the something. I can't fucking remember what the fuck it was called. It's been a while. I NPC'd that whole event. But basically, they had an entire, like, new town that we all had to go to. I think that that's a really interesting way to do that. And I think that maybe doing, like, a one-day event where you're like, nobody's in Crash Point. Well, so we could get into the semantics and logistics of it. uh, Because doing a one-day sucks for people who have to travel a long ways. Uh, whereas when you do a whole weekend, you have the camp to stay at. If you do a one day, where are you going to do that? How are you going to facilitate food? How are you going to facilitate where people stay? In concept, it's an interesting idea and be very cool to do, but we have people that come up from North Carolina all the way up to Virginia. And where are they going to stay? You're right. I've I've thought and I've talked to various staff at various LARPs about shit like this. It's just, it's something that I have in the back of my head. It's a matter of where you're going to stay. I I think that it's an interesting idea that can work as a last breath. That's what it was called. Yes, that's that's what it was called. Last breath was what it was called. I think that um, having it so that the group of players has to leave uh, the town that they're used to is a very interesting concept to do. And I think that... um, more LARP should do that because it made everything else more interesting. I mean, you go on contracts for Stormflux and you're not in town for those. But right, I think you're talking you about an overarching encompassing yeah, no, of Yeah, like, like an overarching thing. Like okay. if you all were like, hey, we're in Brennisboro's town because we have to do a big thing as a town. I think that one of the things that... And I know that we are getting super off-fucking-topic here from Timmy D's question... So fucking off topic. But I think that one of the more interesting things that could happen at Stormflux is, hey, the group has to go to the whatever glade. Um, I could tell you places on that map because I've been to a lot of random places and you, I take pictures of you the could map. Ta- you could tell me places on that map. You could say you go to Brandsboro's town, you go to uh, DeFerrell's town. DeVerdebos. There so you, places you could, so good. You could say that we all go there for a fucking thing. That, like, as a town, we have to do something there. I think that that would be interesting, but it's a, it's still kind of a, that's something that got, that, that happened to me as a very early LARPer that really hit me really hard because it's one of the few times where that I've ever, like, Stormfox does this to me a lot, but Avalon only really hit me maybe, like, twice with it, uh-huh. of, holy shit, I'm in actual danger, here's 
actual adrenaline pumping through my veins. Mm-hmm. I have never been like literally there was a point where we had to go from camp five which if you're familiar with camp five we had to go from one side prince of camp william five, park in, in prince william park we had to go from where npc shack is normally set up in uh uh for Stormflux to where the lab is normally set up which is across that big fucking field like there's it, it's it's a big field one side of the camp to the other yeah uh yeah one side of the camp to the other yeah and See, I was used to that we because getting, my cabin we, was always we on the other side. Chased, and I was trying to help because I had a shield. I was trying to help defend, and people were pushing me out, and they're like, "No, no, no, you go, you go, you can't hold this, you can't hold this." And like fucking Dossus and like everyone else is like pushing me out because they have more levels on me and blah blah blah. And like fucking, we get pushed out, and I have never gone. I've never heard screams from, um. Eric and Dawson's being like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Like, just freaking the fuck out. We went from, I am one of the last people out of that fucking building, to I am one of the first people across that line to the other fucking building to safety, because I am legitimately- Oh shit, you were also never there for the Dominion raid on town. No, and I have heard a lot of shit about that. <laughs> Dominion, so anyway, we're not going to get into that. We need to- Back to the question. We need to get back to the question. How does death so, function in Stormflux? How does death work in Stormflux? Okay, so, so you wanted me to do a very brief summation of Avalon death to kind of yes. talk about it? Okay, so having died uh, five times as Tawny, one didn't count, and three times as Vera, one didn't count because of random shit that I still don't entirely know what happened with, but- not part of the topic. So Avalon, you had a essentially a um, a bleed out count. It was five minutes. You had a death count, which was five minutes. Um, you could be bandaged while you're bleeding out. You could be healed while you're bleeding out. When you're dead, you have to be revived. Uh, when you dust, you go to NPC Shack, and staff can kind of fuck with you a little bit. Like I've had visions before. I've gone down a river, which is an old tech thing, and you some they usually can do a little funzy thing with it. Yeah, it just depends on the staff. From what I understand, it's a it's it's rare. It's not rare, but it's rare enough that you get plot from it. Sometimes, yes. Uh, when I played Vera, I or, had or a particular get, staff maybe, that would see that had seen me die. And he's like, "You are mine," because not, he always ran not my death. That you mods. get plot from it, but you get personal plot from it you can you get you can and sometimes you can get world world help with it right that's that's besides the point but but the idea is is that when you die it's a big deal and when you come back it's a big deal it's it's a big deal because uh for avalon there was the joking saying is you only live 13 times because you have that is the max amount of times that you can die and come back is 13 or you're on your third. I think it was on your 13th death. That's your last one or something like that. And so people dying had a huge impact because you only had so many and you had this thing called fate where you would get a bag of stones. Um, and for every death you had a redstone in there. And if you pulled a redstone out, you have to spend fate to, basically redraw if you didn't have enough fate like if you died nine times you only had four fate and you pull four bad stones you permed mm-hmm. uh so it just you had to have a it's, good balance it, it, of it, death i wouldn't and say that fate. it's easy to perm in avalon but it's there's players that have been there since the beginning of when that 
came around, and that game is old enough to drink, I think, now. Or would be old enough to drink if it continued on. Uh, so there was more of a a sense of urgency when people died there. Uh, and a it was limitation. A way, it was it. a way bigger deal. But at the same time... There was also you, a long... You, typically a long count on death. Like you could, you could death blow death somebody who was waiting out, but there was a longer count. timer on it. Mm-hmm. And you didn't die as often. You say that, but some people went down a lot. Okay, well, some people were like me and idiots. I wouldn't say they're idiots. That's probably okay. Not the best that way that to that's that. a word. That's a bad way to put it. Some people got really cocky with their skills. Some people did. Some people died for plot reasons. Some people died because things happen. Um, but anyway, so in Avalon, you had armor points, health points, blah blah blah. There were a bunch of different martial arts. You had a lot of defenses. Uh, you could there. It was a very system heavy thing. Whereas in Stormflux, it's very much a, you got hit in the arm, your arm's gone. You got hit in the arm again. Well, that hits your chest. Did you have some kind of armor to block that? No. Did you have an Aegis point? Did you have an Aegis point? No. Cool, you go down. You're, you're bleeding out. You're you bleeding have a 30-second bleed out, and then you die. And then you die. And there's some patterns that change that, but I'm not getting into that. Uh, and, and then you respawn at the nearest tether... Mm-hmm. And then come back into the fight. It's a very nice way to make respawning not the worst thing to happen. Yes. To so you. I'm not so, going to say there isn't a sense of urgency with dying in Stormflux, because when you die, you typically get corruptions, which fill up slots in your tapestry and don't allow you. Some of them have which at a lower things. level are whatever the fuck. Minors aren't so bad. Majors start to hit a weird thing. Severes hit... Like, I had one severe where I didn't have an arm. And so that made it really hard to literally do anything that I would need two arms for. And right. if I, I, mean, I have got a, hit, I have a major where I can only use one type of weapon, which my entire which is not what my entire build is built around. My entire build is built around using guns. The corruption that I have makes it that I have to use two-handed melee weapons that look like street signs. I have one that is called Cooperation, and uh, basically the good of the many outweigh the good of you. So I try to be more cooperative in situations. It's not like I'm compelled to do it, but it's just it's the flavor of the card because you can get rid of the card by basically solving the omen on there or by paying it off with potential. But I also don't want to get too heavily bogged down into like other system elements of it. Uh, and then, so you can, you can die like that and come through a tether. There's, and there's a, a way for you to basically perm. Well, not basically, there is a way to perm. And systematically, if your whole tapestry is filled up with, I think it's severe corruptions, if I remember correctly, right? Mm-hmm. So your whole tapestry is filled up with, you know, eight severe corruptions. You're, something happens to your character. Your character's gone. It's perm. I believe that the phrase is you're lost in the storm. It's something along those lines, yes. The other way to perm is, like, story Basically storyteller reasons. Um, we ha- we've had two characters that have permed. 
uh, Kanbe and Tommy. Kanbe, uh, the short version of it is he sacrificed himself for the signal, for the the tower. And for the good of the people in general. He was a very lawful, good character who we all regret his passing because he was the lawful, good paladin that kept the rest of us in line. Or did his best to. And then we had Tommy, who was, you know, a chaotic person, but he... He was still chaotic good. He died so that he could get information. I'm not going to say anything more than that. And so that he wouldn't affect the people around him. And the nice thing was, uh, I the little bit I do know, like I said, I'm not going into details on a lot of stuff. You know, staff took them aside when they were making these decisions, like, this decision will perm your character. They gave him... It wasn't like, make this decision, you're dead. Fuck you, you're permed. It was a, we're going to talk to you, we're going to make you realize that this decision you're going to make, your character's not going to come back from it. And there was that, that moment of, you know, we want you to understand what will happen. We don't want to surprise we you with you it, which I this salt, greatly this, appreciate. This hard finality of this character will die if you do this. Are you sure you're going to do this? Are you sure? Yeah, and it's a, a conversation. Lot of, there's a, yeah, no, it's a conversation with staff of, are you sure you're going to do this? If you do this, your character is gone. We cannot bring them back outside of player intervention not even that no i be- i personally believe that if so can you yeah um i personally believe that um if someone were to do something they could possibly bring Kanbei or tommy back i've, uh, I've we'll, talked to players about this we'll, we'll, we'll de- we could always debate that at a later time and date uh but there's that conversation, there's that but actual normally, realization, whereas, like, at Avalon, you knew what the parameters were for you to perm. But, at the same time, like, the corruptions that you get for dying on a mod, uh, just kind of bringing it back, because you're not going to perm. Unless, of course, that, like, you really fuck up, and then even then, Steph, Steph is going to be very... Let you know that perming is going is a potential for happening. They're very good about this. So normally, death just kind of gives you like minor corruptions or even sometimes major corruptions. It depends on what kind of mod you're on because the contracts will give you an idea of the corruption that you're but, facing. Like they could be things like, oh, I only I can only re- I can only say things like what like a major corruption would be. You can only talk. In phrases that you've heard. It's a thing that we've actually seen before. You're drunk. Is a corruption. I haven't seen that one. I've seen that one. Four times. I've seen a taste a piece of verdant. Or taste like verdant or something I've like that. I've seen you're drunk four times. And I feel like I should just go to staff and be like, listen here. You sons of bitches. Charlie is a professional alcoholic. Him be, him getting a minor corruption of your drunk should just be... You need to have some of that silvy purple drink. 
Listen here, Charlie is drunk constantly, and I have gotten rid of being drunk, like, in three different ways, including being being, being beaten up until I'm sober. Okay. That's when I told the wooden parrot joke. I'm glad somebody beated you, beat you, wow. Why they just, you know, beat you up? <laughs> Somebody beat my ass for that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Oh, boy. I have never seen an entire group of, like, 20 fucking people just turn on me. <laughs> ever. And I fucking love it. That joke will never be told again. That joke will be told one day. So, I guess that kind of answers the question. Ask me about the plastic parrot no, joke. don't do it. For your own I'll sanity. I'll tell you all the plastic parrot jokes. You joke. can do that when I'm not here, then. I'll do that in game when you're there and Panther's there and Wolf is there. Good luck. One day. That will be my legacy. Good, <laughs> good, good, good luck. As I, grip, as I grip my heart in a heart good, attack good, good luck on getting two of those around. Uh, and having, just, fuck it, I'm gonna awkward myself. And go, Bye! <laughs> yeah, you can awkward yourself. And Full I'll just... on obfuscation, not here. I'm done with this. <laughs> okay, so, so, yeah, no. So, death is less of a problem in uh, Stormflux. So, were we going to go on to another Jane question? Yeah. One last one from Jane, and which one was it that you wanted to. Oh, I mean, like, answer? I. There's so many good ones I, on I there. I know, there's so many good ones from Jane. She's. She's so good at questions. Um. So we'll let you decide on what the last one is. So this this is one that I think is very interesting. Uh, in your opinion, do players have any responsibility to create contact content for themselves and other players? If so, what should it vary game to game? Okay. So my question concerning that is when when she says varies game to game, do we mean does it vary session to session or does it vary LARP to LARP game like D D to mean, World of Darkness? Even tabletop to LARP. So so my I have kind of strong opinions about this in that I I don't feel like it should be on the GM, the staff, to hold your hand through everything. To basically completely guide you. Like, you are you made a character that even if you're not sure where they want to go, you've got a small idea of maybe where they want to go. And I think Where it's they want to be. Yeah, I think it's a player's responsibility to... Talk to your staff, talk to your GM, DM, whatever you want to use for it, and be like, this is what I want to do, um, this is what I'm interested in, this is where I want to go, and communicate I... that and actively pursue it. I don't think, and I've seen it happen before and it kind of pisses me off, I've seen um, the powers that be just hand someone something, and they did little to no effort on their part to progress it, to work towards it. It was just put in front of them. And it's one of those things of, like, this is supposed to be, like, it's going to be, like, a two-year-long quest or something like that. And they're just handed it to them. 
And I, I guess that comes from I mean, almost a visceral aspect of me because I, if I'm interested in something, I'm willing to put the time and effort into learning how to do a thing or... I mean, sometimes in those kinds of situations, the person just kind of gets the answer. If it's a puzzle that they're looking for one answer of and the person is just smart and gets the answer, then yeah, like that two years worth of plot and everything can turn into, no, you figured it out. I think it's... Uh... It's like if someone is really good at yeah, I can understand that. It's I guess it's maybe because I'm just used to putting I, time and effort into figuring shit out. I don't know. I think that as far as inter-character drama, I think that the player it, the players are responsible for handling inter-character drama. I think that if A wants to be rivals with B, and that puts them at odds with B's allies, that's on the player. It's for them to figure it out. It's for them to figure it out. If we're talking about NPCs and everything, I feel like that is on... Unlock it real quick. I feel like that is on both of the... I feel like that is on the player to talk to the GM to figure things out. Yeah. I feel like a good communication between players and whoever is their staff or their GM is really important. And players can drive content and I think it's important that they do drive content but it shouldn't be solely on the powers that be to like they can put the breadcrumbs down but I don't feel like they're the ones that need to kick them off the cliff to do it. Like players should be interested in the content. But I've also seen players get kicked off the cliff before. I've seen the full spectrum. Sometimes the player needs to get kicked off the cliff. Sometimes the player gets put into a position where they have no idea what the fuck is going on. And they're... I mean, this is me literally speaking from personal experience with with Charlie's character progression. Sometimes you have no idea what the fuck is going on and you're just running off of instinct. I literally, at one point, Gave a GM my uh, my family background and went, and they went, hey, we could bring this in, but it's not going to be until like later this year and blah, blah, blah. But if you want to see it sooner, I kind of have an idea for this. And I went, you know what, buddy? Fuck me up. And this has been messing with me for the last year. But you know what? I asked for it. And, uh, I'm just gonna touch on this slightly when you're done with that. At the same time, I feel like that if what the GM brings out is really antithetical, like just not at all what the player wants is so rough and makes the person, like, uncomfortable out of character... I feel like those two should talk and maybe be like, hey, maybe we should fix this plot line up. I don't feel good about this. This this isn't something I felt, but it's something I felt like I could have felt. Like, I gave staff permission to 
fuck with me. And I felt like they did a really good job with it. Mm -hmm. But I knew that there were lines that they could have totally crossed with me that I would have been like, I would held a hand up and like went to a staff and been like, yo, I am not fucking cool with this. This is rough. I don't like it. It's making me feel uncomfortable. And I knew going into the, and this is one of those things that I'm really happy about with our staff at Stormflux is, is that if I went up to any of them and went, yo, I'm not fucking comfortable with this. This is making me feel all kinds of things. I do not want to feel while I'm LARPing. I want to not feel like this. Can you please not? And I feel like that a lot of them probably have been like, mm, we will modify the story to fit with this. But right, but like, you know, we're going to keep the, we're not going to let the narrative just jump from A to Q. It's going to have a natural progression that's going to go from A to B to make you feel more comfortable, but that is something I've always felt with the LARPing community that I've been involved with. That they have never pushed boundaries that made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Like, communication's a big thing in any aspect of life. Um, communication and comprehension. And so, like, I think players are responsible for creating content for themselves, um, I don't think it should be all on the people running whatever to do it. Because you could only, like, do so much, and, like, if the players aren't putting in the, the effort, I guess? I don't, I don't know how to, like, really think, explain think, my think, mindset about it. So, like, you can't make a player put in the effort. Yeah. But you can make the effort to engage the player. That's the best way that I can put it, is that sometimes you're not going to grab the interest of people with your plot. <sighs> but sometimes the plot, when you look over a character backstory, blah, 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 make people interested, can grab the interest. And you have to be able to roll with it. Yeah. And it's like, even some little aspect of something might be something your players are interested in. And it's that old thing of, like, you walk into the room, clearly the quest giver is right here, but I'm gonna look at this goblin that's over in the corner. <laughs> hey, you guys got this fucking mask. Blah, 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 blah. This is a fucking MacGuffin that you all fucking freaked out for, what, four sessions before you, before you had any idea what the fuck it did? I Again... Going back to episode one, I've never had a fucking MacGuffin that I just fucking drop into the game and get, and everyone else goes, ooh, shiny. Uh, I'm trying to think of something else. Like, I mean, I can talk on personal experiences, but I don't, uh, I don't know. I feel like that maybe personal experiences might be something to say for another time. Yeah, because we're on uh, two hours at this point. I don't want to make anybody listen to us that long. <laughs> uh, I mean, this has been really fun, but I do have work in the morning. I don't. What yeah, is that? Uh, it's like 3.30 a.m. Uh, for those of us who uh, 
you know, anybody listening and it's curious so about anyway, the crazy that um, we do. So I'm really glad to have answered a lot of these questions. We'll get to a lot more next time. And if you guys keep sending us questions, we will definitely um, answer them. Eventually. I would like to do like maybe at least three a session if we can. Maybe not mm-hmm. spend, you know, an hour and a half on it. Well, but... To be fair, we did spend like 40 minutes on one question. Yeah. Yeah, we, we did not get through as much uh, exalted as we wanted to with this episode, but I think that's fair. Well, we also had a lot of questions pour we in, which was nice. Pour in, I, which was really again, nice. And so probably I the third or fourth or fifth time I've said it, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's, it's great. Um, yeah, with that, we're probably going to end this episode. Yeah. Uh, just kind of, <sighs> we will get to some more questions next time. We've got at least, what, five more? Yeah, just from one person. Just, well, I mean, Jane's really good at asking questions. And yeah. if other people ask us some questions between now and then, uh, we will be doing this next Friday again. Uh, probably. Pro- uh, oh, I mean, I- what's, what's the, what's the. It's tw- 26th. No, it's the 20th, because uh, it's past midnight, so today's the 19th. So be, Right, right, but next Friday would be the tw- Oh, it's 25th. 25th. I might have something that day. I don't know, but I'm, I'm sure we can squeeze. Oh, oh, is that when you're down and doing your thing with the woods or whatever? Yes, I will be in, in a cabin in the woods. Okay, so you're going to be in Cat in the Woods, so we're... Hey, well, then that's good that we record two episodes. Today. Yeah, right? Um, maybe and we'll do one before you go out that weekend? Possibly, yeah. Um, we'll kind of play by ear then. Um, so, anyway, so I was Brendan. It's Christina. And this is A Paradise Lost signing off with uh, Let the Good Dice Roll. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening.